Welcome to Church in the Basement, where we seek to see God more clearly and to live a life loving God and loving others. Hello, everybody. We are back in Romans 2. Last week, this is, uh, I guess you could call it part two of talking about judgment. Um, so what I'd like to do is reread through Romans two, uh, one through 11, and then we'll look at some other passages, things to consider just to bring you up to speed. Last week, we talked about the difference between judgment and discernment and how Jesus is ultimately the judge. Um, sure. We are called to judge in a sense of discerning between good and evil, but that is a very slippery slope in that even Paul references, and we talked about this in the last time we were together, how he doesn't even allow himself to judge himself and he doesn't care about the judgment of others um, because we have a tendency to get prideful in it. And who are we to judge, but we are called to discern, discern good and evil. And even when our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ are, are falling into sin. And today we're going to talk about, uh, how we go about that. So here we are, we're in Romans two, uh, verse one, it says, therefore you have no excuse. O man, every one of you who judges for in passing judgment, On another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume the riches of his kindness and the forbearance and patience not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience in well-doing, seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good. The Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. For God shows no partiality. So we're pausing for a moment at the beginning of Romans 2, and there's a lot of stuff that we're going to get into about the law and holding yourself to the law and that back and forth sort of that, that issue that's within uh, the first century church, the early church, it went back and forth. Uh, Jewish Christians wanted the Gentile Christians or the, the Grecian 
uh, Christians to hold to the law and basically become Jewish. And so there was this whole back and forth. And so he leans into the law the rest of the way. And all of this is to show us that we all fall short of the glory of God and that all of this is impossible. And we'll come back to that. Um, but w- we talked about, again, judgment. And uh, it's hard when we are discerning uh, good from evil. Um, when we are discerning good from evil, evil and we see it in the lives of people we love and care about, or even people that we maybe don't even know, strangers, but trying to operate in a way where, man, we want to bring them into repentance. As it says uh, in this text, it says, do you not realize that that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? So how do we, um, how do we participate in that? How are, if we are the hands and feet of Jesus, if we are um, a part of the church, how do we do that? First and foremost, um, we got to look at the words of Jesus. It says in Matthew 7, and I believe I brought this up last time we were together, but didn't really dive into it, um, really lean into it too hard. But it says in Matthew 7, uh, it says, judge not that you that you be not judged for with the judgment you pronounce you will be judged and with the measure you use it will be measured to you why do you seek the speck that is in your brother's eye but do not notice the log that is in your own eye or how can you say to your brother let me let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your eye, in your own eye, you hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So we see here the responsibility that we have to, uh, of course, it says judge not, but as as we are looking to help our brothers and sisters in Christ, or or anyone to come into that repentance and and participate in the mission that God has called us into, which is uh, Jesus, before he ascended into heaven, he said, all power and authority has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations. A uh, disciple is a follower of Jesus. And so in order for someone to follow Jesus, they need to know Jesus. But again, Jesus is pointing out the tendency that we have and uh, yeah, the tendency that we have in going to other people and seeing the things that they struggle with as, as a more important thing than really leaning into and being self-aware of the things that we struggle with. Um, instead of going to Jesus and, and first saying, God, where am I struggling with that? Um, and that's where it becomes prideful, where in a sense, we are suppressing, uh, as we talked about in Romans 1, these are, these are non-believers that he's talking about in Romans 1, but, but those who suppress the truth and unrighteousness and recognizing that we were once one of them and we still have tendencies um, of, of our unbelieving self, of the old man, as Paul would refer to his old self, right? He had a whole name change. So the old man is Saul 
And Paul refers to the old man. He still has these tendencies. They're still warring within him, as we're going to see in Romans 6, 7, and 8 um, it, as, as we get there. But we have to, as I, as I said last time we were together, instead of pointing the finger at other people, turn the finger around and first point it at ourselves. First point it at ourselves. This is confirmed also with scriptures like Galatians 6, where it says this. It says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. So this is what we're talking about today, that we have a responsibility to come to those who are caught in any transgression. That means has any sort of pattern of sin in their life. Um, You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness, right? But it also says, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor." for each will have to bear his own load. So in this, um, in this text, it's saying, as we bear with one another and bear one another's burdens, we have to be careful that we are turning that finger around first and going, okay, God, is this something that I struggle with? And I, I say this often that really we can see a lot of things on the surface, sort of symptoms of a deeper sin. And it's a good practice of the Christian to look at the roots. Like, where is this stuff coming from? Um, If you have a hard time doing that, I suggest counseling, Christian counseling. There are tons of great Christian counselors out there. Um, But God will also lead you to those things as well. Um, I personally go to a counselor just to help sort of sort through the things that maybe I'm not seeing on my own to get that third, the, the, uh, the neutral view to help me Um, see some things. And I find it very, very helpful and very helpful in the things that I'm processing with the Lord even. Um, So it's so important for us to turn, turn the finger around, look within first and foremost. Um, We see this, uh, but, but how do, so in verse one, it says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, uh, this is of Galatians six, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. So first I want to talk about how we do that. And this is like a personal, if somebody sins against you, right? Um, but I, I, I think the process even goes outside of that. Um, in Matthew 18, uh, th- there are things we can glean from this text. So Matthew 18, it's the conflict resolution uh, text, sort of gold standard within scripture. And for any of you who have trouble just sorting out conflict with other people in general, this is going to be very helpful. This is something to consider as we uh, discern um, good and evil in the lives of other people and being loving and for the edification of the church and for one another. How do we come alongside one another in a spirit of gentleness and and lead them to repentance, uh, lead them to Jesus? It says this in Matthew 18, 15, it says, if your brother sins against you, so again, clarify this is if sin is against you, 
It says, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. This is very important. I brought up discernment ministries where we see a lot of people on YouTube that are, are just jumping on and, and posting things about other churches or things about other believers or prominent Christian leaders, and they're just blasting it all over the internet. And to me, this is the scripture that comes to mind. And I'm like, ah, we really got to be careful with that because this is straight from Jesus's mouth. This is the way that we handle these things. If we have an offense against another person, uh, we need to go to them. Now, this is sin directly uh, against them, but we'll get into sort of how this principle broadens out as well. So you and them alone, right? You go one-on-one, mano y mano, and you go and you say, hey, uh, you you said this thing that like really hurt me, or you did this thing that that wasn't cool. Um, and it it's caused some destruction in my life. And you go one-on-one and it says, if he listens to you, you have gained your brother, right? So best case scenario, they listen to you. They go, hey, I was wrong. Uh, I apologize or I see what you're saying. I will modify uh, the way I go about that in the future. Or they basic, basically receive what you're saying and, and things are resolved. In verse 16, it says, but if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Um, so then you bring other people into it. And I would say be very careful that this isn't um, gossip um, but, or this isn't like you're, you're not getting people who will always side with you, but, but wise people in your life who will give a neutral point of view, maybe friends of both of yours, so, so that, so that you get a, a clear view. Uh, typically, in church history, there were times when, when conflicts were were getting worked out, where people would even these two, this one or two person people would would be elders of the church, right? So, like people in your church who are trusted, who know the word, um, who who are mature in their faith to come and help you sort it out. Then it says in verse 17, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. So then you bring it to your church, your congregation, um, or, or the leaders of the church, the elders, um, of the church, the overseers. And, and if he refuses to listen, even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on this, on the earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. So it, it's just leaning into the power of when you can agree on something um, and and coming together one-on-one, that's that's two of you, and then bringing other people. Um, don't, don't go off on your own and stew about it on your own. And getting on YouTube or getting on social media and talking about it isn't the proper way to 
go about these things. So interesting thing, there is a, a teacher that I go to pretty often on YouTube who, um, he, he did a really cool thing in that I, I think he found out about two prominent church uh, leaders that were um, at least leaders in Christian culture who were having issues with one another, uh, clearly uh, either on YouTube or Twitter or some sort of social media. Um, and what he did is he asked both of them to come onto his YouTube channel and to have a conversation with one another. Like that's somebody coming to people who... Uh, he's not involved, but he sees this and it's being publicized to everyone. Um, and he's going, whoa, 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 whoa. We need to do this Matthew 18 style. Let's get these guys together so that they can talk it out so they can work it out. And chances are, if you, if you (laughs) get people in that situation, um, then things can, things can be worked out. Um, generally people are pretty understanding and, and receive things. And, Again, if it doesn't work the first time, that's why there are three layers to this conflict resolution, right? Um, I I do want to point out as well that, so that's how we go about things, right? That's how we go about things. And I, I want to point out, and we're going to talk about the different ways, um, but as we proceed, I, I just want to point out that with these discernment ministries um, out there, you hear a lot, and I I believe I said this last time, you hear a lot that within these people who are on YouTube, who are pointing out uh, the downfalls and the flaws of others, uh, other church communities or other leaders, um, we see them sort of like the ending statement is don't go there anymore or don't have anything to do with them or don't, um, don't associate yourself with those, those things. Um, and I would just caution if you hear that kind of terminology, I would be very, very careful. Cause we're going to see here in a moment how Paul, um, and some other people who were a part of the first century church, they didn't run away from these people. They ran to the people who were out of line or there was something going on, there was some sort of sin going on, and that was discernibly true, right? Um, they discerned or, or it, again, uh, judged that there was sin going on in their life. They judged the actions that were taking place in their life. They weren't judging the person, but they were judging the actions that were going on. They discerned good from evil, and instead of telling people to, to distance themselves from that person, they actually went to those people. They went to those communities. And they went through a process very much like like uh, it says here in Matthew 18. And so we have to realize um, that we're not we're not from the pattern within within the Bible in the first century church and even the way we see Jesus move towards people. We don't run away from people. We don't run away from people. We run to people. And the posture in which we come to people is so important. We see brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. I brought up uh, last time that, that Jesus, right, who is the judge, 
who is the judge. And if he was judging all of us, uh, we all fall into this category that Paul is talking about in Romans 1 and 2, uh, either one of the two categories categories, right? That we all fall short of the glory of God. Our righteousness or our good deeds do not qualify us for salvation. Um, When we suppress the truth and righteousness, the wrath of God abides on us. But the judgment that should come down on us is death and destruction. Um, we, We are undeserving of eternal life. But Jesus came and he took that judgment. He judged us but also took that judgment upon himself, the punishment for that judgment upon himself and made a way for us to walk with him. And, and that, that process, him live, living perfectly, dying horrifically and humiliated on the cross and defeating sin and death and raising from the grave in, in the life that he created us to live and now offering a way for us to live that life through the power of his spirit and his death and resurrection and, and the cleansing of his blood, he extended grace to us. And so we who point the finger, we are not called to point the finger. We are called to extend grace. We have to turn that pointed finger into an open hand. Turn that op- that pointed finger into an open hand. So we see, um, I, I found this article. It's really interesting. Um, it's by the Gospel Coalition. Um, what's the title of it? It says, 10 Issues the Gospel Solved in the Corinthian Church. Um, so let's use the church in Corinth as an example. There were lots of problems in the church in Corinth, right? It, it says here, uh, I'm just going to sort of breeze through this article. I encourage you to go and read it. It's really good. Um, it says some, some Christians, Corinthian Christians were divided over church teachers. So they were embracing one teacher over another. Uh, clearly that is going on today. Um, Roman culture valued polished rhetoric and regarded the message of the crucified Messiah as folly. So there was back and forth between sort of Jewish style leaders and, and, and Gentile style leaders. Uh, so like teaching style, um, yeah, teachers, not leaders, uh, which sometimes goes hand in hand. Uh, another problem within the Corinthian church, uh, they were tolerating incest. This was something that we see in, in first Corinthians, uh, Corinthians, Corinthian Christians were bringing lawsuits against one another. Corinthian Christians were excusing sexual immorality uh, because it occurs outside of the body. Um, Some were misguided about marriage and singleness. Um, Some were eating foods offered to idols in a way that did not build up their neighbors or in a way that was participating with demon worship. Um, there was disputes over what to wear and what not to wear. Um, there were disputes about uh, abusing. Oh, they were abusing the Lord's Supper um, by marginalizing the poor Christians, which, um, you know, Jesus really leans into that. Like you got to take care of the widows, orphans, and poor people, um, people who are not as well off as you. That's a major thing that Jesus leaned into. Uh, some were prioritizing 
uh, less valuable spiritual gifts. Uh, so they were sort of putting spiritual gifts on some sort of a scale, um, even though they're gifts from God. So they're all pretty rad. Um, it, so anyway, this was causing issues. And then, and then we see denying that God will, uh, actually resurrect believers. So, so we've got sort of some doctrinal issues. We've got some functional, like how do we operate as Christians? We've got all over the place, this church, the church in Corinth had some major, major issues, but what does Paul do? Does he, does he scold them? Uh, no, he brings them the gospel. And I want to read this to you. This is the way he starts his letter, knowing, and he wrote this letter, knowing all of this was going on, like all of these issues, all of these things that in this day and age, someone would probably see and jump on YouTube and be like, hey guys, this is going on. Don't associate yourself with these people. Paul instead goes to them. He writes a letter to them. And this is the way he he talks to them. He says, grace to you and peace from God, our Father and and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him, all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you so that you are not lacking in any gift. As you wait um, for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ. How he ends this, this letter is also amazing. Oh, where are we? How he ends this letter is this. So he is leaning into a little bit of the wrath of God, right? But he says, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. So he's writing it with his own hand. Again, he's making the effort towards them. He's written this letter that we break down into 16 chapters, right? He's moving towards them. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Oh, Lord, come. Oh, Lord, come. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love, my love. So he's saying his love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. So so what does Paul do? Does he extend uh, uh, <laughs> a YouTube video about everybody flee from this place? No, he extends a letter that draws this church to the gospel and he extends it in grace and love. This is that gentleness, right? In the spirit of gentleness, he, he moves towards them. Not to mention, he has to write another letter to them, a follow-up letter, right? And it's very much, the, the intro is very much the same. He starts with the, that same line, grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. And the end being similar as well. Uh, we see he ends it in verse 14 of chapter 13 of 2 Corinthians. He says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Now, when this church is going through so much, how 
how is Paul able to tap into this like love? You would think he would be frustrated. You would think he would be um, angry with this church for for putting off a bad image. Obviously, he's heard about this from from other people, um, and um, he's heard about this from other people. If he's writing a letter to them, right? He's checking up on them. So, so what's interesting is in First Corinthians we see him talking about the key to all of this. And again, this is the heart posture that we are to have as people who walk in the way of Jesus and don't fall into the trap that Paul is talking about in Romans 2, in judging others, but but falling into the same sin that we're judging people about. Paul in Romans or in 1 Corinthians 13, it's a famous scripture about love. It says this. It says if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, And if I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. I gain nothing. In verse four, it says this, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. I want you to see that in verse 7. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. I was, um, I was doing a wedding for a friend um, a number of years ago, and I had this guy walk up to me after the ceremony. And this is not to like puff me up or pat me on the back, but he walked up to me and he was like, Hey, nice ceremony, man. Uh, nice work. Not using that like cheesy, the, what is it? First Corinthians, uh, 13, four in the, in the ceremony. And I looked at him and I said, actually, I did use it. I, I did use it in the ceremony, but the, the reason why he didn't notice it is because when I use that, that, um, that scripture in wedding ceremonies, I, I, I say this is impossible. This kind of love is so hard. It is impossible. It is impossible except by the power of the spirit of God. This is true love, love that bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things and endures all things. When we go to those who are struggling with sin, who are falling into sin and maybe Maybe even uh, think about if you go through that Matthew 18 process and you go to someone and you talk to them and they completely refuse, they completely refuse. Um, We have to trust that God is in control um, and that he is, is doing the work. We, we have no power to change lives, to transform hearts and minds, but we do serve the one who does. And this kind of love is impossible. So the posture of our hearts in moving towards people is also something that we need to rely on God for. That it's not something that we can just pull up our bootstraps and do it on our own. 
but we need to be asking God. If you have conflict or if you see something in somebody else's life and you're feeling led, like it's gotten to a point, not with the first uh, offense, but if you see this as a pattern in someone's life that you love and care about, or even a stranger, and you're feeling like God is asking you to approach them and, and, and say, Hey, um, with a spirit of gentleness to call them out, um, out of that sin and into repentance and into love. And you, you hold that open hand of grace. Hey, how can I help you come back into the way of Jesus? I'm just noticing these things. And, and I, I, I want you to walk in the way that Jesus created you to walk because it's good. Um, as you move towards people in that, we need to be asking God for his love for people. This impossible love, that love that bears all things, believes all things, and hopes all things, and endures all things. Uh, another example we see Jesus, uh, it says in Mark 10, and as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up to him and knelt, uh, this is Mark 10, 17, and as a man was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. And Jesus looking at him, loved him, loved him. See, Jesus is taking that same heart posture. Even though he knows what's about to happen, he knows what's about to happen. And this, this again, is a, is a clue. Um, this lets us know that God loves all people. He may hate the sin that is going on in, his li- in their life, but he loves all people. And Jesus, looking to him, at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have and give them to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. So again, Jesus leaning in, going towards this this young man who he knew was going to reject this and he loved him anyway. In Acts 18, we see another example um, we see in Acts uh, 18.24, it says, Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. So he knew the word, right? He had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus. Though he knew only the baptism of John, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to uh, Achaia, The brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those 
who through grace had believed. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. So we see this guy, right? That he wasn't telling the whole story. He wasn't accurately uh, he wasn't accurately presenting the gospel, right? Um, which are some of the things that you see um, other people calling each other out within the church doing. Um, they're calling each other out based off of inaccuracy um, on on a theology or doctrine or or whatever it may be. And instead of going to them, they choose to just blast this stuff all over the internet. Um, and the internet is an incredible tool, but we just, we wildly abuse it. And, and we put down those who are, um, doing the best that they can to, to promote who God is. This guy, Apollos was in no way, shape or form trying to present a false gospel because we see when Priscilla and Aquila show up, they're like, Hey dude, they moved towards him. And they saw he was speaking boldly in the synagogue. And they were like, man, this is a guy who, who gets it. And in love and the spirit of gentleness and in grace, they move towards Apollos, right? They move towards Apollos. They took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And what happened? He, he went on to, <laughs> to, continue to promote the gospel more accurately. This is what happened. He didn't reject it and go away. And so what are we afraid of? What are we afraid of? To, to tell the rest of the story in Mark 10, uh, after after this young man walks away, it, it says in verse 23, it says, and Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter into the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to him again, Children, how difficult it is just to enter the kingdom of God, for it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Isn't that the question? Then who can be saved? Right? Jesus looked at them and said, With man... It is impossible. With man, it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. For all things are possible with God. So we, feeling like there, there are these different communities or, or leaders, or maybe there are people within your city and your context and your community that are maybe way off base. Like I can think of some in my community that I'm like, what are you doing? But I'm not like blasting out there. Hey, this church, this church, this church, because if I'm going to do that, I need to go to them first. I need to go to them and talk to them first. I need to move towards them. Um, as we see uh, Jesus doing, as we see Paul doing, as we see Priscilla and Aquila doing. And these are just three ex- three examples of, of how we are called to move, not in judgment, but move in grace and love towards those who are struggling with sin or inaccuracy or whatever it may be. That we are not, 
We are not judgers. We are not the judges. <laughs> we are not the judges. We are called to bring the grace and love of Christ. We are called to bring the gospel into these these situations. The whole letter of 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians is God is is yeah, God through Paul, but but Paul bringing the message of the gospel into all these different problems and lining all these different problems up against the gospel in the spirit of gentleness, out of his love and grace, uh, out of the grace of God and his love for for the church in Corinth. Um, so as we close this up, I, j- I just want you to realize as we as we move through the rest of Romans 2, and we're going to talk about how this plays out, how there are individuals out there who are very prideful in their religiosity, and that's not just in, in Christianity, um, but that spans across uh, whether you're an agnostic um, or, or you're an atheist or, um, you know, Buddhist, um, Christian, Muslim, uh, you can find them in any sort of belief system, right? Those who are self-righteous and who are puffed up and believe that they can be saved by their own righteousness, by their own good works. And what we see Jesus saying here is that with man, it is impossible, but not with God for all things are possible with God, that we need to trust and hope and have faith that Jesus is going to do the work that he set out to do, that he is going to turn eyes to the cross, um, that he is going to draw people to salvation And it's by the person and work of Jesus and the power of his spirit working within us that the impossible becomes possible. As we wrap this up, I want to read this over you. Uh, This is the rest of 1 Corinthians 13. As we step away from this conversation, uh, things to consider within scripture on how we approach what we do to bring someone who has a pattern of sin in their life uh, back into repentance, back into the way of Jesus as we are a part of the church and edifying the church and you have a role to play in that. We have seen the way, but we also see the posture of our hearts. And, and really the impossible thing here is the love that we see in 1 Corinthians 13, but through his power, it is made possible in us. So I wanna read this over you, and I encourage you to meditate on this scripture, um, really from here on out, um, that you would be asking God to work this kind of love in you. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. 
When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. I pray that this was a blessing to you in sort of processing this idea of what what is judgment versus discernment. And then today, hey, how do we operate within that discernment? What do we do as we discern what is good and evil, especially within the church? And I just pray that over you, uh, that, that faith, hope, and love would abide in you, um, but most of all, love. With that, we conclude our little rabbit trail. And next time we are together, we will continue in Romans 2 as we make our way through the letter from Paul to the church in Rome. So until then, be blessed, and we will catch you next time.